You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. This is Locked On Hornets, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Check us out all on Twitter at Walker Mail, at Nod of the Scribe, and at Doug Branson LOH. You can find the show handle on most social media platforms at Locked On Hornets. You can find Rick Bennell, our guest, on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. It's usually Tuesdays with Rick, but now we're going to have a special edition Friday with Rick. We won't have a show on Tuesday next week because of New Year's, but then the following week we should be back to a normal schedule. So thanks to Rick for creating the time to join us this morning. Rick, thanks so much, man. How are you doing? Oh, absolutely, Walker. I hope you had a good Christmas and I hope you have a fantastic new year. Same to you, Rick. Hopefully the new year brings to you all sorts of good things, and hopefully it brings the Charlotte Hornets some good things, as it's going to get very tough for them, as we've talked about quite a bit in 2019. That January 2nd game, they have the Dallas Mavericks at home. Then they go on a long road trip with some pretty tough opponents in there as well. Uh, Rick, let's talk about some things that we saw maybe over the weekend during the Christmas holidays. We saw them beat Detroit but then dropped their last two games. And it also, it's been interesting for Malik Monk, where you've seen Borrego shorten his rotation. Malik Monk has been out of that, and then he was brought back into it and played significant minutes against Brooklyn the other night and eventually did have that game-ending turnover. And, and you have to feel bad for Malik, but did play some good basketball. Rick, what's the best thing for the Charlotte Hornets to do with Malik Monk? Is it playing him? Is it developing him some other way? What do you do with Malik Monk if you're the Charlotte Hornets? I really endorse James Borrego doing what he did, which is basically send a message with minutes that said, I am holding you accountable for your defense. Figure it out. You have, you know, he's a year and a half into his career now, Walker. Um, he has to understand that one side of the court is just as important to his career as the other. Um, and, and I think JB put him back on the court. You know, I, I never thought that that was, was some sort of a banishment. I, I figured it was a, a couple of games to get his head on straight, to understand that he was accountable for playing defense. And, and frankly, I thought that he played defense much better um, in that game up in Brooklyn, specifically making more of an effort to fight over screens, stay in front of the ball. They never expect him to become Dennis Rodman. They simply want him to be responsible for himself and not break down in ways that make it unfair to his teammates. And, um, and I think we saw a little uh, progress in Brooklyn. I think, honestly, you know, when you look at the situation, I don't think he was asked to play a lot of defense in Kentucky. I think it was kind of a shot to his system when um, Steve Clifford um, held him accountable for that last season. I think he is adapting to the situation. Rick, he's got the athleticism. He certainly doesn't have the length, but, I mean, he's got the athleticism, at least some of the tools to be a competent defender on the other end. Is, is it mental lapses? Is it effort in question sometimes, or is it just trying to learn the game on that end of the court? Well, I think it's certainly in his rookie season it was mental lapses. Uh, I remember there was one game where uh, two out of three possessions um, he sort of looked up. I don't know, you know, if he was just confused about what, what he was supposed to be doing, but he looked up and 
And the man he was supposed to be guarding was a good, you know, 10, 15 feet away from in each instance. Uh, <laughs> that's just not being accountable for your responsibility. I think he's been better um, for that. And, uh, and, Walker, the other thing that I think we need to keep in mind about Malik Monk, which I really applaud Borrego for, is giving up on the can he be a part-time point guard experiment. Um, Malik is being allowed to do what he does best, which is be a flat-out scorer. He's obviously got some playmaking skills, and those are expected of a shooting guard. But the idea that he was ever going to spend significant minutes at point guard, I always thought was a rather, you know, foolhardy mission that was more a function of the limitations of his size than necessarily a reflection of his skill set. So let, let's just say that the Hornets do have a drastic change in their record and it just goes completely south. And then you do have these younger guys still on the roster. How would that change their minutes and, and how they're part of the rotation? Would you expect Borrego to utilize them more if that record does go so south? And when you say that, you're talking about just a complete what face plop, right? Yeah, I, mean, I, I would. Yes, you know, it would take a place. I think it would take a face plant scenario. You know where they're, you know, you know, six games out of eighth place. Um, you know, at the trade deadline before you'd be contemplating that. But if that were to happen, and I do not anticipate that happening, because quite frankly. As I heard you guys pointing out on your show yesterday morning on, on, um, on ESPN 730, um, they have not had long win streaks and they have not had long losing streaks. <laughs> right. Um, but if, if this month of road games just was brutal on them, I think it'll be very interesting to see at what point Borrego starts shifting minutes, uh, whether it be playing... Uh, Miles Bridges more in front of um, Marvin Williams, whether it be playing Devontae Graham a lot more, whether it be um, giving a good long test to Dwayne Bacon. Uh, the other thing is not is if that were to happen, I don't think it would be just about, quote, playing young guys. I'll give you an example of this. If, if they got into a situation, and, I, and again, I do not want to put – you know, I do not want to put this on them that this is going to happen, but if they got into that situation, I really think they'd be obliged to give Frank Kaminsky some significant minutes to increase Mitch Kupchak's ability to decide long-term whether they should keep him around, whether they should make that qualifying offer. And obviously, you know, one way or another, and based on his minutes of late, I don't think this is going to be an issue, I think you really need to know by the end of this season who Billy Hernan Gomez really is in the NBA scale. You're listening to Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer here with us on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. I'm actually going to break this up in half. we got a lot to talk about, so I'm going to break it up in half, and then we'll come back after the break with more Rick Bennell. It's the season of giving. We're giving you daily Hornets talk in your podcast feed. We need you to show your support by joining our Patreon page. For just as little as $1 a month, just $1, you'll be supporting the content that you depend on. Patreon.com slash LOH. Once again, that's Patreon.com slash LOH. We'll be back with more Rick Bennell after the break. This is Locked on Hornets. Nature's first green is gold. Her hardest hue to hold. Her early leaps a flower. 
but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief, so dawn goes down to day. Nothing gold can stay. We need the boys to mend with that now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Thanks for sticking with us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast, and we will continue our discussion with Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer. Rick, Jeremy Lamb really took a step up last year, and he's been very good this year as well at a higher volume. And now you're kind of with this dilemma of a guy making $7 million this season, but his contract is going to end, and that's actually a guy that's going to make more. You referenced in your article that an NBA front office scout or an executive said, $14 $14 million could be going Jeremy Lamb's way when he hits open the open market. How do you handle this situation if you're Charlotte on what to do with Jeremy Lamb? Uh, Walker, I think if they, if they win, then you owe it to James Borrego not to do something short-sighted, not just trade him for, you know, a random, you know, I mean, obviously the kind of teams that would be interested in him are contenders. Um, I think if, if they have a chance to make the playoffs, it would be unfair to Borrego to trade Jeremy Lamb for a, for a first-round pick that looks like it would be in the 20s. Um, if their record goes south, then I think all bets are off. Because, and I'm curious if you would agree with me, I don't put the chances very high on, on Jeremy Lamb being on this team next season. Um, he is such a bargain right now at $7.5 million a season. And if you presume that Kemba Walker is going to be re-signed, the ramifications of, the, of, of what they're going to have to do to do that is going to make it very difficult to do a lot of other things next summer in free agency, either with their own free agents or with other people's free agents. And, and I, I just think the situation, it, it, it's not of their making, and it gets very, very complicated. No, I, I agree. And I think what else makes it really complicated is Tony Parker. So if you pick up the option on him, it would be $5 million, but you give all of this money to Kimba, like the max, and let's say Jeremy does get up to 14 15 or whatever. And you know, if, if Tony Parker, is it – is it realistic to say that he is going to be the same Tony Parker every single year? I mean, at some point, father time has to set in to the point where he's not the reliable packup point guard. You know, how much money do you have to try to get some other players if Lamb and Kimba are both given contracts? If Tony Parker finishes the season healthy and motivated, I think it'll be his call whether he's back. Uh, I don't know that. But I have a very strong intuition that at, a, at only five and a half million dollars next season, if he wants to be here, and there is no physical evidence that he isn't, you know, that 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 he is, you know, crumbling to dust, I think he's really important to James Borrego. I would be very surprised. Now that does not mean that he, if he were here next season, that he would necessarily have the same role he has this season. Right. They're excited about Devontae Graham. They're going to find ways to get him more involved. Um, I have been surprised just how many minutes Tony has played. Um, I have been pleasantly surprised by the fact that his body doesn't seem to be um, harmed by that. 
but I don't think that you can do that in, indefinitely. Rick, just a couple more questions. Uh, the road, sure. wo- the road woes. They've been bad. Uh, I think you've they've won two road games in the first weekend of the season, and since then there hadn't been too many. After that, I think there's been like what one or two. Uh, it, it hasn't been many. Why are the why is this team struggling so much on the road? Is there anything that you can pinpoint that to? Walker, the very first uh, a couple of years I covered the NBA, I was fortunate enough to be around Kenny Gaddison who was one of the wisest people ever to play for this franchise. I will always remember Kenny saying to me, um, defense travels, offense doesn't. It's really that simple. And a huge element of defense is rebounding and getting loose balls and, and, and turning deflections into possessions. They aren't very good at that right now, and I thought that the, uh, the, the game up in Boston um, illustrated that in a rather – you know, stunning and disturbing way. Uh, they have, you know, I've always, you know, when at the beginning of this, early in the season at least, when when JB would say, you know, if you look at the efficiency numbers, they're really good offensively and they're not that bad defensively. You know, at the time they were kind of a middle-of-the-pack team defensively. And I just always remember whenever he'd say that, thinking to myself, I don't think this is a very good defensive team. Maybe they're kind of getting away with it. You know, um, they need to be better defensively. He, re, you know, that came into you know graphic relief in those back-to-back losses to the Knicks and the, and the Lakers. He did everything he could to move his his rotation in the direction of defense. It wasn't good enough against Boston. It was. Kind of, sort of, okay against uh, um, Brooklyn. That's not going to hold up on the road. Um, they need to be, they need to get, they need to, to um, button down a whole lot of things defensively, and they need to do it real quick. And Rick, finally tonight they do have a Brooklyn Nets game. It's a classic night. It'll be the fourth one of eight uh, classic nights that they're going to have over the course of the season. Tonight, extra special. They're honoring former Hornets play-by-play announcer Steve Martin, who was with the team its entire existence up until this year, where now Chris Kroger has done a very good job taking over. Uh, Rick, how was it? I know know you wrote a QA and a and put that on the Charlotte Observer in your time sitting down with Steve Martin. What particularly stood out to you in that time interviewing him? Well, first of all, let me tell you something that I think is a, a job quality and a person quality about Steve that you know probably isn't appreciated enough. Steve has exceptional humility. Uh, Steve always viewed his job um, as making the guy he worked with or the woman he worked with look really good. Mm-hmm. Steve has no ego, and... That was what made him so incredibly charming. He brought out the best in people, whether they be um, Gil McGregor all the way to Del Curry, and that's really cool. Um, I thought it was neat that Steve, in his mind, knew it was time to, you know, to hang it up. Uh, I think a lot of people in that situation they hang around, you know, with their fingernails clawing to walls, and that just wasn't his style. I agree with you, by the way, totally, that Chris Kroger has picked this up and, and put his own mark on it and done it very, very well. I thought it was really neat. You know, there were a lot of different things Steve said to me, and I thought by far the neatest one was when I asked him, in the entire history of the organization, 
who's your favorite person to be around? Mm-hmm. And he said that was a really easy choice. It was Dale Curry because Dale is so approachable and such a real person and has good family values. And you know something? That is absolutely true. When I look at, you know, Steph Curry and Seth Curry and their, you know, and their sister, those three kids could have been the most spoiled brats on the planet, and they're the exact opposite of that. They are the product of great parenting, and it, if you've ever met Dell and Sonia, that doesn't surprise you at all. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Always great stuff, and make sure you check him out on Twitter. He's got a couple of articles out. Again, you can check that Q&A out with Steve Martin, also the Jeremy Lamb article, what they should do, the options that the Charlotte Hornets have on what they could possibly do with Jeremy Lamb. You can find it on his Twitter account, at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks so much, as always, for adjusting the schedule and the time. We appreciate you joining us. Oh, no problem, Walker. You have a great New Year. All right. Thank you. You too. Have a happy New Year to you, Rick, and have a happy New Year to everybody. And we appreciate you joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Now, here's the funny part. I was listening to this to prep it for the show, and um, my wife walks in and was like, what are you yeah. listening right to? That's a little scary cool. if, if you don't have the context. If you walk in and you start hearing that, yeah. that's Darth Vader. I didn't have pants on. That didn't help <laughs> yeah, either. No, um, it's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Thanks for joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We're coming to you from the Essex Home Studios via 7:30 the game ESPN Charlotte, but a quick shout out to the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. Should be back inside the home studios. I think on Monday, I think Nada's going to join me on Monday, and then Doug will probably join us either Monday or it'll be Wednesday, because that Tuesday we will be taking off for that New Year's Day, but should be back on a regular schedule, at least a relatively regular schedule on Wednesday. Just wanted to go over a couple of things real quick before we end today's pod. On Rick Bennell's interview, who talked with us just a couple of segments there, the Jeremy Lamb thing is interesting. We've brought it up a couple of times on what the hell do you do with Jeremy Lamb, who was having a career season. He really took a step up last year. You knew that that was going to be a guy that was on a good deal. Was he going to have to be the sacrificial lamb? Were you going to have to trade him? Were you going to have to try to get some assets in return while he still had one year left on his deal? Now that deal is shrinking ever so slightly as these games keep going on here in 2018, 2019. And would you rather trade him rather than see him walk for zero assets in return? And so it's so tough to try to figure this out because Jeremy is the second best offensive player on this team. Certainly the second best score, the most consistent score that they have outside of Kemba Walker. And if you have that guy gone and replace and replace him with a couple of assets, um, you're, you're not getting that kind of value in return, I wouldn't imagine. And so what other teams are interested in him? Rick Bennell mentioned that contenders are going to be interested in Jeremy Lamb, which I totally agree with as far as the trade market. But then it, let's just say you don't trade him. And let's say you're at the end of the 2019 season 
you're in the offseason. Let's say you go to the playoffs and you lose in the first round, and then there's Jeremy Lamb making $7 million, about to end that. Now he's looking for a big boy deal. And Jeremy Lamb's looking out there to a bunch of teams. Maybe a contender would look at him, sure. But if the market out there is about $14 million for him, and remember, the cap is going to spike a little bit more. So there's going to be teams, I'm sure, just because history repeats itself, they're going to find themselves in a similar situation, not the same, but a similar situation to where I could absolutely see some lower-end teams overpaying for Jeremy Lamb where it could get, I could see it getting to 20. (laughs) As crazy as that sounds, maybe not 20, maybe you get to 18, but it'll get up there. And the Charlotte Hornets, I don't want them to pay Jeremy Lamb $18 million. It's what got you involved in this mess in the first place. Overpaying for guys compared to what the cap was at the time. Overpaying for guys that are just average basketball players and maybe a little bit above average in certain areas, maybe a little bit below in certain areas. But if you had to guess, I think you would say that Jeremy Lamb is not going to be on this team anymore. Because it makes sense to trade Jeremy Lamb. I I would keep him, and then I would try to get in that sweepstakes for Jeremy And then if you don't get him, then fine. Let somebody else overpay for him if it comes to that point. But at least you have some money at your disposal. At that point, you would save $7 million. So then maybe you try to go get another piece that works for you. But don't overpay for Jeremy Lamb. Like, I'm willing to go to a certain extent. And if you do sign him, I think you have to sign him. I'd be fine signing him to a one-year deal, a two-year deal. And then you can get out of that cap where you have Marvin Williams' deal coming off the books, Bismack Biombo's deal coming off the books, as well as MKG's. And then you have a lot of money freed up. And then it's going to be the first offseason where the Hornets have actually had some money to decipher the future of their franchise. It'll be the first time that's happened since they paid Nick Batum and they paid Marvin Williams and MKG and and all of the core players that you see with this team right now. now I, I think I would sign him to a, a small deal because at that point, it'll be his eighth and ninth seasons in the league. You know, at that point, is his prime behind him? You know, it, it, it's an interesting thing that you have here with Jeremy Lamb, the way that he's played and what you need to do with him. Do you trade him to try to get some assets, or do you pay him? And if you do pay him, how much do you pay him, and how long do you pay him? Because I think I would like to have him for about two more years, and then it seems like maybe that's a guy I would let walk. And the other interesting thing that we talked about with Rick Bennell is he said that the Hornets really like Devontae Graham, which is awesome. You know, you guys know my love for Devontae. I think a lot of people like Devontae, as they should. It's a second-round pick that looks like he has some real promise. And it's interesting that Rick seemed pretty confident that they're going to give Devontae Graham some opportunities. Haven't seen it a whole lot. We've seen him in the rotation every once in a while. But we haven't seen him get too many minutes and too many significant minutes. So I'd be interested to see if Devontae Graham gets utilized a little bit more in the second half of the season and where Tony Parker's body is. You guys know that I'm a little uneasy about Tony Parker and the reliability. He's been great. It's not a knock on what Tony Parker has done. They have absolutely needed him. He has been extremely important to the victories that this team has been able to accumulate. I'm just worried about father time setting in sometime soon because it looked like it set in last year. Now, a lot of that was due to the injury, and so I I think – You can see that as a viable excuse from what he's done this season, but is it just because that we're about to enter January? 
you know, it's one thing to do it in October and November and December and and it's it's we're getting there, right? Like we're getting on the in in the second half of the season to where you're very impressed with maybe his durability. But I'm I'm still scared, and I think I'm always going to be scared until really the last month of the season comes and goes, or the playoffs come and go, and Tony Parker still being that kind of impactful player. And then I'm going to be scared in the offseason when they decide to bring him in, and I'm, I'm not going to dispute that. They're going to have to pick up Tony Parker's option if he continues to play like this, and it'll be a great deal for $5 million. It'll be a, a phenomenal deal. You have to do it. But there still is going to be concern that he can do that or even a lesser extent of that for a whole other season? It's scary to me, but at least they're confident in Devontae Graham, and if they have the confidence in him, you know that's a good sign, and I hope that you can find him with some significant minutes here in the second half, and you'll have to go through the growing pains, but then you hope that you have some momentum to build on for next season, kind of like Malik Monk left us last year at the end where he gave us a stretch of some really good offensive production. Maybe Devontae Graham can give us some momentum and confidence in him heading into his sophomore season to where maybe Tony Parker doesn't have to step up as the backup point guard as much because you can trust Devontae Graham a little bit more. He's not going to be Tony Parker and what he's been in his second season, but maybe he can take a little bit of the load off of Tony at that backup point guard position because Devontae Graham, at least you're hoping, is the backup point guard of the future and a reliable guy off the bench that can really help you win basketball games. All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. Hope you guys have a great weekend, and we'll be back with you on Monday. Mm-hmm.